this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And Jay, this is a combo episode because we're talking about an album that was a winner of one of our tournaments of death. One of our fight till the end, maybe even have a tie. Uh, 27 albums enter, one album leaves, except uh, two albums decided to leave. And it just so happened they were both suggested by the same person. So we thought, uh, that's pretty cool. And then we should have him on. He's got the magic touch. How many albums, Vadim Taver, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. How many albums did you have in total in those polls that made it? Was it just those two? <laughs> there, uh, well, I had uh, one in each of the three um, subsequent uh, tournament showdowns, whatever you guys call them. And then uh, each one made it to the final round. So I had three in the final. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Three out of the seven. And you, to... so the odds were in your favor. As, as president snow would say uh so <laughs> you've got the pulse of the uh the taste of our our listeners i think not really patrons. no not really <laughs> sometimes sometimes i don't know yeah. this i think this month you did this month this, I did, this yeah. month definitely tune, man. so let's um let's get into the what was in these polls so we can talk about the record that we are going to talk about uh the first round was uh, Richard Waterman suggesting Kettlebox, Kettlebox Happy Pills, Adam Smith, The Godfather's Unreal World, Willie Dillon suggested Flake Music, When You Land Here, It's Time to Return, Joe B suggested uh, Transistor Self-Titled, Kyle Bittner suggested, I, I don't know how to pronounce this, Eurosi Yatsura, I feel like that was put in there specifically to trip me up. Um, uh, and their band, album. Yes, yeah, so the band was created and named to exactly just throw you off oh it's gonna get worse uh we are euro c yet sir is the name of the album then the, then lauren suggested psychomoto goat <laughs> seriously love it uh their album braille and then here's one of vadim's picks uncle's science fiction which is of all the albums that have just been mentioned not only well i know the Candlebox record but that one i'm actually very familiar with and then um Jeff Krieg suggested Massacre, Meth- Massacre Methadrone by Brian Jonestown. Massacre, uh, which we've talked about. And then uh, Dick Schleff, Schleif, sorry if I mispronounced that, Dick. Uh, he suggested the album Mega Crush by My Name. And the winners out of this round, there were three. Candlebox, Yurusi Yatsura, again, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, and Uncle. So round two. Guess who shows up again? It's Vadim with Jets to Brazil's Orange Rhyming Dictionary. Uh, also, there you go. And he's got it on vinyl right there. Very nice. Oh, is that nice. the original press from J-Tree or is that a repress? It's a repress on Epitaph. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Did, I wonder if J-Tree even did it. I mean, I'm guessing they did. They did. Yeah, they did. It was probably a very limited run and it probably costs a lot of money now. Maybe. That's, I feel like all 90s records are either really expensive that came out of vinyl or they're not worth anything. J-Tree, not so much because, J, I mean, J-Tree was like a punk-rooted label. So, I mean, a lot of the stuff they put out on vinyl, people were buying because it was like, you know, it was more common. It wasn't like a major label. Got it. Uh, Richard Waterman in this round suggested Power Trip by Monster Magnet. Willie Dillon, Do Not Tailgate by Fireside. Joby, Guide to Better Living by Grinspoon. Jeff Krieg, Knock Knock by Smog. Chuck, horse drawn wishes by roller skate skinny Gabriel Gabriel Gutierrez acid bath when the kite string pops. James Elliker truly fast stories from Coma Kid and Tom Cole play parts one in five by Green Romance Orchestra. Out of this one, our winners were 
Monster Magnet, and Just to Brazil. So now Vadim's two for two in these polls. If it's you know, feeling if, cocky. I feel like you could, this is like a parlay <laughs> uh, kind of bet, op, you know, bet situation here. Uh, if you, if you could package all these into one uh, series of bets, you'd like uh, do really well at the racetrack. So last round, Richard Waterman, six by seven, the things we make Willie Dillon finger 11 tip Joe B chopper one now playing Joe B got one in each round as well, but he didn't make it out of the rounds. That's uh that was tough. Jeff K silver Jews, American water, Vadim drugstore by drugstore tom cole soul asylums let your dim light shine lars lindblad mike watt ball hog or tugboat scott wish scott witt suggested the self-titled album by demolition 23 and lastly rochester dunningham that's a very cool name by the way uh kicking in the water by the gand harvest out of that round Mike Watt and drugstore. So going into the final, there were seven albums because we did have a tie. Jester Brazil, Jester Brazil and Uncle were the two winners. So Vadim had both the winners, but they tied at 29%. So then it went to a runoff, a 24-hour runoff. I want to just say I, I made a nice graphic for this. I got two old-timey boxers and put the album covers on their on their bodies. I think that looked pretty cool. Uh, that's my Canva design skills. <laughs> it's also my fault you had to do that because I I, I forgot to vote in in my. Oh my! Oh, <laughs> what? What? So no. I would have been the deciding vote for my album, whichever oh, one that would have been. Man. Do you know who you would have voted for? Yeah, I voted for Uncle. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. Uncle didn't win. Oh, the that final. Is, that's messed up. Yeah, so we're going to okay. talk about Jets to Brazil's orange rhyming well, dictionary. I think it, it was time to do this record because this was in the March poll nominated by Willie Dillon. Okay. So it had gotten close before. So it feels right that we finally got to it. Okay. So, Vadim, you suggested this record at the beginning of this tournament. Um, so I'm going to ask you, when did you get, I, I'm assuming you were into um, Jawbreaker before this. And so you naturally, kind of. what's your history with this band? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I was with them from the beginning uh, just because of the people involved. Uh, I'm sure you guys read the history. It's kind of like a super group at the time um, because uh, Blake obviously came from Jawbreaker, which were pretty huge. Um and then uh, I actually was most familiar with Chris Daly's work, the drummer, because he he came from Texas is the Reason, and I was a huge Texas is the Reason fan at that time. He also came from a hardcore band before that uh, called Resurrection from New Jersey that I liked. And then um, Jeremy was in Handsome before that, uh, although he sang in Handsome and he played mm -hmm. bass in here. And then before the record was even out, they had a guitar player who played in a, in a, a really great punk hardcore band called Lifetime who were also on J tree as well. And I was a huge fan of, of lifetime. So I, I was very familiar. I mean, it was a big deal. Like everybody, you know, who kind of knew what was going on in those scenes was very aware of jets to Brazil. Um, but to be honest, I didn't get into them in 1998. I got into them in 1999. I kind of missed the release and this isn't like, you know, I can't just like click on Spotify and listen to it. Like it had to be a little while before I purchased it. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I was a big fan of the J tree roster, to be honest with you, I, I, that, that I was a big, big fan of a lot of bands on that label, um, lifetime. There was a Philly band called kid dynamite that, that was pretty big at the time. Um, strike anywhere. Those were more like punk hardcore bands. And then, uh, promise ring Pedro, the lion and a band called Denali. I was, I was really into. So yeah, I mean, underneath that J tree umbrella, there was a pretty big buzz about Jets to Brazil and for who was involved. And actually, until I started doing a little bit of uh, d researching here for this episode, I had no clue that this was the best-selling release on JTree. That actually kind of blew my mind because there's just so many great releases on that label. But yeah, it's kind of weird that this, this was number one. So yeah, that's my history. I got into it uh, a little bit later in 1999, a little bit later, meaning like 
<laughs> in in a few months had after it had come out. And I did get to see them um, that year. And I had to look it up online because there's no history of the show anywhere. I was like, am I imagining that I was at the show? I, I, I think I messaged you about it, Tim. Mm -hmm. um, and then I actually like hit up a bunch of my friends. I was like, this show happened, right? Like I'm not like hallucinating, right? And they're like, <laughs> yeah, it happened. So it was, it was when um, Hot Water Music, they kind of, they had a history of breaking up and getting back together, but this was one of the times they broke up and then they got back together. So it was it was billed as sort of like a hot water music reunion show with Jetster Brazil and a band from the like Washington DC area called 400 Years opening. So that that's and that's the only time that I saw the band was just on this record on that in that within that first year that they were a band. And we've obviously we've covered a lot of the bands that you mentioned. So we've obviously talked about um, jawbreaker we did 24 hour revenge therapy many many years ago by the way that's the only um episode that got us a write-up in the av club uh they were not happy with our <laughs> review of that album because we were not big fans um we've talked about handsome we've talked about texas is the reason and it was produced by mr j robbins who also played guitar a little bit on this on the album and did some backing vocals. So everybody who's involved with this record, we have talked about in some way or you know shape or form uh, before this. So kind of makes sense that we're finally getting around to it. Had you listened to this, Jay, before doing this for the podcast? Yeah, I had. I mean, not a ton, but it was amongst a lot of other bands and you know, Jay Robbins and a lot of other associations you mentioned both through the podcast and just, you know, early two thousands, like where I was at musically, um, was very in this ballpark. So yeah, at, I might even own this on CD. I think I've listened to this and the record after this four corner night a bit. And, uh, I think I've revisited it, you know, here and there since. So you know, spot listen to it, not a lot of like huge familiarity, um, but kind of knew what the band was about, what they generally sounded like. Got it. I had the Probably. MP3s, but I don't remember ever listening to it. Like mm -hmm. I have all the MP, I have the, all the albums on my hard drive, but I, I could not remember what this sounded like. At first I was like, did he ditch the guitar and play piano? Like, what was this record? Like, I remember it being, I remember it was different, but I couldn't remember yeah. what was different about it. So my memory of it was slightly different than, than, than what it is. So we'll get into that. Right. So this came out as mentioned on Jade Tree, uh, October of 1998, produced by Jay Robbins. It was followed by Four Cornered Night in 2000 and Perfecting Loneliness in 2002 those were also on jade tree um i believe jay robbins produced perfecting loneliness but i don't think he pr he produced uh the middle album somebody i think they just re had a recorder they don't i don't think they had like a producer for that album i don't re I don't recall um or i don't i don't see that anywhere the uh album cover for this looks super emo like <laughs> i love it it is <laughs> you were like what does an emo album cover look like it would be yeah. this yeah 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 the lowercase font all the way across yeah. yep text using so. type as graphic mm -hmm. like sort of like i have a very love hate relationship with this album cover you know, because it kind of reminds me of like, um, like Mark Mark Rothko. Like, I'm sure you guys are, are familiar mm -hmm. with his paintings. Like, it's very, you know, it's just like shapes and colors, really. You know, so there's not much to it. So, from a technical standpoint, I kind of look at it and I'm like, like anybody could have done this, you know. But I'm sure there's a lot that goes into this, like many trial and error of these shapes put in different places. But yeah, when I when I look at it, I'm just like this is so simple. It's just like the simplest thing ever, but that orange, yellow and white uh, combination is very difficult to look at. Right. I've always found it. Um, memorable. 
like of all their album covers it's the one i always remember and as soon as i see it i'm like oh yeah i remember that record so from that standpoint i think it's super effective it is very like expressive experimental 90s graphic design so it's of the time which i also have a fondness for um but it's effective in terms of memory does it communicate anything about the band not really no you this could have been a 1960s jazz album with like stan getz or it could be like a tropicalia album from like (laughs) brazil like you have no idea what this album what this music's gonna look like uh or sound like I, I when I look at that album cover, it is very it's very like mid-century modern to me. That's, yeah, that's what yeah. I would describe it as, which is not something I think about in terms of album covers. I never I don't think about music in that way, but it it does give that vibe. Um, where it could be like a loungy, uh, jazzy uh, cocktail cocktail jazz album. There's also uh, we should I guess we should mention that it was done by the guitar player of the Promise Ring, who is a band that was also on J Tree. So we, there's a connection there as well. There you go. Another uh, band we've that would make sense if you look at their covers. They're mid-century modern-esque mm-hmm. slash sub, like '90s subversions of that style. So makes total sense. Like nothing feels good. Totally is in line with. Yeah, I mean it. It's a photo. It's maybe more interesting, but like from a style standpoint, it's in the same ballpark. Yeah, I could see that. Yep. We got some comments. I'm, I can't get through all the comments because there were so many, but on the final poll, um, Willie Dillon said, I really wanted to hear Uncle reviewed, but I voted for Just Brazil in the main poll and I'm voting for them here as well. It's a solid rock album that's well engineered with nice crafted songs and they have sometimes subtle but intelligent drumming, bass lines, and guitar. That's, a, that's an interesting uh, description. Uh, it's well engineered. With nicely crafted songs, it's like AI wrote that. Willie, did you, did, write, did Chat GTP write that? Um, <laughs> Andrew OC, Jets to Brazil. I've almost requested that a few times. Good rocker, though. Now I feel like I should at least check out Uncle. You should. You should check out Uncle. Um, Scott Witt said Jets has been my runner up a couple times, so I have to stay with them. Plus, I can't reward a band that easily misspells Uncle. Oh, Scott, with your humor. That, is that, that's not the only word in that title that they misspell. Correct. Right. <laughs> they're, they're, they got into Prince territory with It's, uh, it's sort of the thing. I, I do like that on the, on the finale poll, the, oh, they had the seven albums. Jeremy Amen commented, sure is a lot of Vadim showing up here. <laughs> uh, he went with, he was, trying to choose between Mike Watt and uncle Justin Weckler Wexler went with the just to Brazil album. Um, he said, I think this is the only good just to Brazil album. Interesting. Hmm. I have not uh, checked out the rest of the catalog, so I can't, I can't speak on that. And um, yeah. So let's get into this record. Everybody else. Thank you for your comments. Thank you for your suggestions. Uh, we're already like 20 minutes into this. So we, we should probably talk about the record. Cause I, I hate those podcasts where they like have a premise to the podcast and then they spend like the first half hour, not doing the thing that they're supposed to be doing. So Jay, tell me one thing you liked about orange rhyming dictionary by jets to Brazil. Uh, I really like the vocal here. And I don't remember being this impressed by the vocal when we did the jawbreaker review. Maybe that's a candidate for us to revisit, but I, I love the tone. It's it's a little raspy. It's got some grit to it. You can tell the from a range standpoint, it's a little limited, but he really sings from his chest, which makes a huge difference. Like it, there's a conviction to it and a clarity. Uh, I also like how he uses rhythm and phrasing to create the hooks. It reminded me a lot of... Uh, um shit that's drew blank from the clash uh joe strummer joe strummer <laughs> thank you it reminded me a lot of joe strummer which i don't think i had ever made that connection before listening to them or listening to him or this record but i think it all just loaded up in my brain of like oh like i get vocally like it's in that space which i really 
appreciate because he does the same thing where where he creates you know hooks and dynamics with like just how he spaces things out or he'll push um you know some of these songs he's pushing vocally to create a sense of urgency and then he'll pull back and sort of fall behind the music i really i love that i think um sorry configurations is a good example of that just in that little chorus where it's the line is apple of your and he like pauses and then he delivers eyes and it's just like little subtle things like that like working within his range and like what he's good at and like figuring out how to you know drive the songs that way dear infatuation you do not see me die here beside you and see through obscurity governess fancy less will sound the alarm drum up some simple turn for you to eat these apples from your Conrad is another good example where like musically that song starts and it's nice, you know, it's like, okay. But then the vocal comes in and everything changes. You're like, oh, okay. I get where we're going now. Like this is got character and the vocal is suddenly creating some urgency. And I'm like interested where we're going to go. And um, it just pulls in your attention. Um, it's, I think that's a really good example of a song where, you know, musically you can kind of get a, a feel for what the band's about which is is good but then when it's combined with that vocal you just hear something like special come out of that so you know i think that's the to me that's the centerpiece on the record there's a ton of dynamics going on here a lot of those are vocal um dynamics in terms of like i mentioned but also musically you know there's a ton like morning new disease is a good example of that song starts off a little angular and you're like, where are we going? And it's kind of syncopated and then boom, it kicks into this kind of four, four driving thing. And then it pulls back into the syncopated like halftime part. And then the chorus gets big and lush. So you get just musically all these dynamics and then the vocal is, you know, creating another rhythm within that, that I think is really effective. So yeah, I think that the thing that works best for me is just a band that is, it's dynamic, but very accessible. Like it's not too post-hardcore and punky and aggressive. Uh, it's got some interesting elements from that. But musically, it's pretty accessible. And then you've, I think, got a really compelling vocal over top that just um, plays with rhythm, uses, you know, phrasing really effectively. Uh, and just, I think, creates a really interesting, unique sound. So that's that's what worked most for me. How about you, Tim? Well, I'm going to take it from a different angle and say I'm very thankful that he decided to, like, experiment on this record, like opening up with Crown of the Valley and having a wah, which is not something I've yeah. ever heard yeah. in, a, in a post hardcore emo mm-hmm. you know like even the guitar tone is much different than you would normally hear um and i like that aspect of this record uh there's a little bit of keyboard on this record resistance is futile has this which is also the name of a max street preachers album um is got this great like weird little keyboard part that it's it's not it doesn't make itself like completely uh obnoxious it's it's a nice little thing that's like tucked into the song Yeah. 
there's like a lot of those touches where I read that he took like a couple, like a year off from making music and he went and got like a regular job. And I think that allowed him to like separate himself from that, the jawbreaker aesthetic and really create something new and interesting here. Um, Cause the, there's a lot of stuff that's like, you know, you mentioned in morning new disease, like that's a huge big Ben. That's very like emo nineties. You know, I could hear that in like, cursive and and that kind of stuff and that happens a couple times throughout the record where you get those like dissonant bends that are you know that's that's like a that's like a double bend for for or uh what do they call that the boomer bend uh that's what rick Vito calls it (laughs) what like the calls it the boomer bend because every boomer guitar player plays (laughs) that's funny so like that aspect of the of this of taking something that was kind of rigid and then and now expanding it and also helps that he's got really good players with him i'm speaking of blake schwarzenbach to have um jeremy and chris who are established guys who know that world of like emo post-hardcore but are going along for the ride and, and doing something just a slightly bit different, slightly more adventurous. Um, I like, I liked hearing that. So that's what worked for me. The Deem, since you're, you were the behind this pick, um, what works best for you on this? So I think um, what you guys said, all, all those things for me as well, um, particularly uh, the vocals, which is funny because I think, the vocals I wasn't quite sure about the first time I heard the band, you know, like, like I remember when I got that CD in 99, I was kind of like, I don't really know how, how I feel about this. They're definitely unique, you know, but it's kind of like a make or break. I feel like for some people when they first hear it, Um, but I've grown to really, really, really love uh, his vocals. And in fact, I think this is probably uh, my favorite Blake performance from his entire discography which i i know some jawbreaker fans um would would like cringe at me saying that but i think i think this jets to brazil record is is like a most consistent for him in terms of like picking his vocal melody and also the way in which he pronunciates things is it pronunciation or enunciation i can't i can never remember the difference between the pronunciation uh, and enunciation. <laughs> jay you want to google but, that okay it's not just me it's not just me um but you guys know what i'm saying it's like yeah yeah, every 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 word is very clear you can like i mean Mm -hmm. if i were to transcribe this record you'd be able to do it very easily unlike for something like elliot for example like it sounds like very slurry or jeremy enig or something like he's very slurry in the way that he sings so it's like it's very difficult to understand what he's saying some of the time and um, another thing that I really like is you can clearly tell that Blake is a um, a reader. Um, you know, he he uses he's got great vocabulary and the way in which he strings together sentences and not just rhymes, but like the actual sentences themselves are like very vivid and they're almost written as if it was like a classical writer, like a classical novelist of some sort, like a Kerouac or something like that. And so I really enjoy that. And on this particular listen, um, I didn't ever put it together, but he reminded me of um, a, a guy named John K. Samson. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the weaker thins, but he, mm-hmm. the, the weaker thins is kind of in the same in the same way where John Sampson is like, he really writes like a novelist, the way that he kind of like puts his lyrics together. And I feel like Blake does that. Um, the drum and bass playing off of each other is really great on this record. Uh, Jay, you mentioned there was some syncopation in, in um, uh, morning new disease. And there's a few times on this album where like the, the kick and, and, and the bass really lock in together. And something that I wouldn't have appreciated about this when I was younger that I much more appreciate now is the ability to back off, to play with dynamics, you know, especially coming from like punk and hardcore, like everybody always wants to be playing all the time at full volume. And this band does a really, really great job of like backing off when they're supposed to. I mean, they're in King Medicine, I think it's just bass and, and, and vocals that really like carry the entire verses of that song, you know, guitars drop out completely. Um, there's sections when, um, you, you know, guitar is very sparse. It might just be like a held out chord and the other instruments are really carrying it or his vocals are carrying it. 
I appreciate that a lot more as as an older uh, musician than I would when I was younger. But it's 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 just very well put together. You can tell they really kind of like spend a lot of time constructing these songs and making them where they're well written songs. But then like the instrumentation makes them even that much more um, impactful. Yeah, I think my memory of this record was that it was maybe a little more abrasive aggressive um I, I was kind of taken back a bit to just how restrained it can be and now like refined i think at times it is and also the elements like you brought up tim of like hearing some wah which was like whoa <laughs> i don't remember hearing one okay yeah it, uh and there's a couple of tracks on here where they use it so there's also like almost like a a dance element to it like it's it's got a little bit of like a danceable groove to some of these songs which you don't always hear in this type of genre so something like crown of the valley i think is a good example i think tim you mentioned um uh one of the songs had a guitar that sound like a synth which one is it oh resistance is futile it almost sounds a new wavy like it's just got enough like groove to it that like it's very accessible uh, especially as the first couple of tracks of this record. Uh, I don't want to say it's straightforward because I think there's a lot of interesting things going on here when you pull back the layers and really listen to it. And certainly his vocal is unique, but it's not as, uh, I guess, weird or challenging as maybe I remember it being and expected to, to be as I revisited it. Hmm. Seem more straightforward, I guess, than I remember. Interesting. I, I didn't have a, a real strong member. Like I said, I thought that this was like piano. So I was <laughs> completely yeah. off, but I knew it was a change. That's the only thing I was definitely sure of. I was like, I know this is different from what he was doing before. Yeah. I just didn't remember which direction. But if you compare it to something like you mentioned cursive as another band that maybe like we would have stumbled on this band because we were in a cursive, like yeah. cursive is way over the top dramatic compared to this, you know? Uh, this feels like much more accessible, which, which I guess doesn't kind of make sense why maybe was the best-selling record for J tree in that way. Like it's, it's fairly easy to, uh, to get in this record. I wonder if the, I also was wondering when you're talking about the, but even you're talking about the vocal and how he enunciates and how that might be a little different than what he was doing in jawbreaker since, I wonder how much of that was the Jay Robbins influence because I think he he sings quite a bit like that too, like doing vocals with him. Maybe that. Oh yeah, there's some Jay Robbins that stuff happening. Yeah, when he gets when yeah. he gets like more um, up tempo, especially. Mm-hmm. Like there was a, there was something that reminded me of the melody in Paper Crowns by Burning Airlines, like just the way that he was like da 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 da. Like yep. I was like, oh, that sounds like okay. Mm-hmm. Um. I hate to crash the party because <laughs> it's been a love fest so far, but for what didn't work, I'm actually in the opposite end of the vocal spectrum as UJ. Oh my um, gosh. What? I cannot connect with what he's doing from a vocal standpoint. Um, and I like wordy vocalists. You mentioned like Tim Kasher can be a wordy vocalist. I like yeah. Gord Downey's very wordy vocalist. I don't have a problem with that, but there is something in the like nasally aspect of his vocal, which it almost comes across at times. He almost is giving like a British accent. 
I don't know if you picked yeah. up on that. Yeah, you but do. Like, there's something back. about the, the him singing from his mouth. It sounds like that just like doesn't work for me. It just hmm. grates on me just a little bit. I wish it, I wish there was just like more chest in his vocal because it sounds. That's like, funny because I I actually added that note of like I thought he was like for the most part like pushing some decent air and like getting into his chest vocal on some of these lines, but I think I definitely, I think, I definitely yeah. hear the the there's like a at times a weird accent to the point where it made me wonder like where is this band from? <laughs> um, I think hmm. the issue that I have is is so much of it is speak singing essentially yeah and there's not a lot of actually singing so i kind of was like getting exhausted by the torrent of words he's so verbose that i was i was just like getting lost i'm like i don't know what song i'm in like i'm i'm remembering musical parts but i can't connect i couldn't connect the vocal to where this what the song was oh wow i also feel like he's mixed way too loud like he is it's a pop vocal yeah mix um i feel like that's a j robbins thing though too like his records tend to be produced that way yeah but but, um wow that is the total opposite it is from from my take and i listen to this over and over again i'm like why is this not working for me like (laughs) i really like this music is totally on on par with like what i like and like i said it like you know i i love some of the little touches on this record but i would just find myself like what freaking song am I on? What is this? And I, I was having a hard time connecting like the titles to the, what the songs were. Like you were saying about listening to a CD and you don't necessarily yeah, back in yeah. the nineties, remember yeah. what all the song titles were. I was just like staring at this, like, I don't know why this isn't working. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. So that's funny. See, cause it's kind of like what I, what I said in the beginning, right? Like I feel like his voice is very make or break for a lot of people. Absolutely. However, I don't I don't really agree that he doesn't sing notes. I think there are it's mostly sung notes on this album. I think maybe it's just there's a lot of vocal melodies where he stays on one note. It's like a single note melody, which pop singers do, too. You know, like they don't necessarily like move all over the place. They could just be like a C and you and you just kind of like say the syllable staying on the C the whole time, which he does do that. Um, But I feel like, um, you know, I, I feel like there's a lot of very memorable vocal melodies for me at least and and again i've been listening to this record for 20 something years so um but i can totally see how his voice wouldn't connect with with somebody i could totally see that i for me it was um once i heard the joe strummer to me like analog it made a ton of sense and then suddenly like it clicked into place. I was like, Oh, I get what this band's doing. I get where he's coming from. I get like his vocal style. And there was like an, like an earnestness to it. Also that I appreciate it just sounds like it's not double tracked. Right. It's just straight up it is dry. It is loud. I could see how not everybody would be into it, but for some reason, like it just connected on that level of like, and more in particular, maybe like the Joe Strummer solo stuff, like from the nineties, where he, it's the same kind of thing. Like he's up loud in the mix. He has a similar singing style, same tone, similar production. And like, for some reason, it just like connected there for me and, and worked out. So is there anything that doesn't work for you on the record? You know, I, I do think the middle of the record starts to gets a little slow, a lot of slow intros. It just loses some of that urgency and dynamic. You know, you get to some parts that are bigger and change, but starry configurations, Chinatown and Sea Anemone is just a stretch of like, I feel like we're starting the same way, starting the same way, starting the same way, and the album starts to drag. Lemon Yellow Black, it gets chunkier and it brings up the more the a little bit of a pop punk vibe, but it's not a killer song. It's okay. And then the second half for me starts to make more sense, like Conrad and King Medicine. Um, Sweet Avenue is an interesting twist. It almost sounds like an Oasis song to me. Uh, you, can, you can hear sort of that British accent coming out there. Uh, and it's also very acoustic. I do want to mention one song in particular uh, that okay. really threw me. And I can't believe you guys haven't brought it up yet. Um, I type for miles sounds exactly like heart shaped box. Wow. 
The rim shots, right? The three rim shots. The guitar part and the drum part for the intro are heart-shaped box. Like when it starts, I'm like, what in the world? (laughs) Yeah, I made a note of that too. This is the same song. It changes after that. But I mean, the first couple of bars, you're like, holy shit, this is, they're covering heart-shaped box. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny because that's not the only thing that made me think of Nirvana on the record. There's a really famous photo of Kurt Cobain wearing a Jawbreaker shirt too, which is really interesting that we're talking Mm about the, this here now but in morning new disease the song i think all of us brought up in the beginning of the record there's a lead line where it's just back and forth between two notes and i was like oh that smells like teen spirit like that's like what the smells like teen spirit verses are it's just like those two notes you know it's like yeah just keep um so that was another similarity that i heard but yeah i totally heard the rim shots that it was like dun dun (laughs) those three rim shots i was like that's heart shaped box it's even the same uh effect on the guitar i think mm-hmm. so that threw me i was like whoa yeah. wait a minute <laughs> um but yeah the middle of the record to me is a mm, not as strong and i think it starts fantastic and ends strong but that middle is a little soft anything not work for you tim besides the vocal i think some of the songs could be a little shorter there's a lot of five plus minute songs yeah it's a 53 minute album um like you said there's a lot of like little like intros that maybe could have been tightened up in terms of you know does it need to be this slow do we need this long sort of instrumental part like they're i guess because i've listened to so much since then that when some of the stuff that sounded like original then because so many bands have done that it doesn't sound quite as interesting now so like like i mentioned about like you know like everybody everybody back then wasn't doing the dissonant the dissonant bend that would become in you know but in the 2000s a couple years later everybody's doing that and um but i mean overall musically i really like a lot of the record it's just the vocal that kind of threw me for a loop um vadim anything that doesn't work for you um the length yeah some of the lengths like you said but again it's like once you get familiar with the songs if you're just listening as a fan um over the years it doesn't really bother me anymore because i know where the songs go um the only really thing that i would nitpick about it is is um is sweet avenue the closer uh, I just I just think that end section goes on for a little way too long, but I can kind of also see the reason for doing that. It's just like an outro of a record, so I, so I kind of get it. You know, they're like taking you, they're bringing you home or whatever. <laughs> you know, um, so that not really much. Um, I I want to counter Jay's uh, uh, middle being uh, more boring. I guess is is kind of what you were getting at, just because because the it, it kind of slowed down. Yeah. I actually love that about the record because I, I do really think that it ebbs and flows and uh, right in the middle of the record is is C uh, Anemone, that song, which starts out with with just Blake on guitar and vocal. And then like slowly, you know, the it, it, the the rest of the band kind of comes in and I feel like it's actually a perfect break in the album. It kind of it kind of really helps break it up to where it's not just. Not that it's upbeat to begin with, but you know, it's it doesn't have loud guitars. It just sort of like backs off, and it does that a few other times. Starry configurations is by far my favorite song on the album, and I I guess I just don't mind a slower and mid tempo type songs. 
Um, but yeah, not not really too much that um, that I dislike about the album. I guess that's why I submitted it. Um, yeah, Sea Anemone. I I uh, I don't mind the, the slower vibe. I wish they had used that. I don't know if it's a Mellotron or if it's a, a like a keyboard string section, but it comes in at the end of the song, which is like it's 520. So it's like the yeah. last 20 or 30 seconds. I would have really liked to have heard more of that on that song. Yeah. That's such a cool sound for them to play with. Um, if anything, I, I, I would have just liked this to get even weirder in terms of, oh, you're going to throw a wad at me? Okay. Uh, what else you got? What else? What other outdated guitar pedals got a roto vibe you want to throw on well or, for uh, that for that tim you would need to listen to the subsequent records because they okay. did get a little bit more weird <laughs> also by the way i just looked it up jay robbins did all three albums so oh he did uh, do the second one too okay yeah he did the second I, I don't know if he produced it but he recorded he engineered it and then gotcha. um uh what else was it gonna there was something i want to say i'll come back all right so this came out as, as we mentioned in 99 it's the best-selling Jade Tree album, but you know, sometimes we talk about like where this fit into like the music scene in '99. Obviously, there was a huge emo scene, but it wasn't the emo scene of like 2003, 2004 when those bands were like blowing up, and you had Dashboard Confessional, and then you're like your Fallout Boys and that kind of stuff. Um, which I don't even know. Are they an emo band? Who am I thinking? Newfound Glory. Like those, there was like, there were those bands that were getting on radio and stuff like that. But I can't uh, imagine this being on the radio in 99. Like this is so not what was happening. Like with Coldplay and Nickelback and Creed. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think this is a little ahead of its time that way. I, I think if this record comes out in the 2000s, it's maybe a different story. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, there was no place on the radio for it in 1998, unfortunately. Yeah, or yeah, 98. I yeah, it's a uh, it's a hard self to radio programmers. Um, all right, let's get into our overall ratings on this record. Were the album better EP and decent single? Jay, where do you land? I'm at a worthy album. You know, I was critical of the sequencing in the middle. Uh. But it, it, I don't dislike any of those songs. Uh, I just think there could be they could be sequenced differently and maybe give a different feel to the record. But yeah, I, I enjoyed this a lot. I, I really, like I said, I think it's worth revisiting for uh, for the vocal for me and just the the concept of like what they're doing with this band and the production. It's also got killer guitar tones, like very midi attack forward guitar tones. It's not like a big thick. I mean, they're big guitars. It's a big, it's a big sound or can be a big sound, but it's not like a, I guess I remember this being maybe like more of a down tune, like, you know, big amp sound. Mm -hmm. And it's not like that. It's more percussive and clean, like a Jay Robbins record. So, well, that's the thing. I, I don't, that. I didn't think it sounded like Jay Robbins. Like when I think of Jay Robbins, I think about like the Hey Mercedes album. Oh, wow. Uh, you know what I mean? Like I think of a braid, like those are like thicker guitar tones than than this record beefier sounding this sounds like i don't want to say solid state amp but it has like a. <laughs> I love the guitar tones on this you're crazy yeah it sounds it sounds closer to like i mean he did promise ring too and he did i guess this is the reason and it's yeah. it's did like it's in that um that wheelhouse like with those okay. bands okay maybe maybe a black star not a <laughs> not a solid state <laughs> <laughs> Let's say maybe Fender amps. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Would do you remember what they were playing when you saw them by chance? What amps? I don't, I don't, but I I had to like double check because I again I was like tripping out. So this show is a it was a place in Philadelphia called the First Unitarian Church, which is like a um like a very uh infamous venue. You know, it's literally just the basement of a church, but like everybody has played there. It's 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 a it's amazing. Um, and I just, for some reason, I have like very little recollection of that show. A lot of the stuff bleeds together, but that's why I was like, does this even exist? And I started searching for it and I, I couldn't find any information. Then I finally found like some tripod website that had it listed and it was in February 99. So it was only a few months after this record had come out. Ah, yeah. 
but I don't remember. I do, I do know for sure that they had another guitar player and, and it makes sense now because like when I listened to this album, uh, yeah. in headphones to review for this podcast, there was definitely a lot of parts where there's two, mm-hmm. two guitars doing different things. Not even just like, there's a lot of, um, double different amps playing the same thing also, but there's a lot of parts where there's like completely two different guitar parts. And I was like, okay, it makes sense that they needed somebody else to fill in that. Cause it, yeah. it would, it would have been lacking with it without it live. They did have a, a second guitar player it was Brian Mariansky from the band, the Van Pelt. Yeah. Who actually just put out a new record after like 20 something years. Yeah, um, the, the two guitar parts on this record are critical. There's some songs mm-hmm. where you're like, oh, this is going this direction. Then it's second guitar comes in, and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Like, okay, we got something going on here. There's there's two parts complementing each other. So super important. I'm guessing some of that's Jay Robbins potentially. Yeah, um, he did yeah. play some guitar on the record. So yeah, that would be nice. Hire Jay to make your record. And you're like, oh, you, you want to play some, want to make some, <laughs> play some licks on this record too. Like, like the sound, this song sounds way too normal. Like let's, what can we do with it? <laughs> yeah. Also this? the fact that you guys pointed out that this, this wouldn't make it in mainstream radio or, 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 or MTV or anything in the nineties is totally accurate because I I'm almost positive that Jay had to option uh, or Blake had to option this to, um, to Geffen because jawbreaker signed him and, and, um, Mm-hmm. Uh, to to like a multi label deal, and then they broke up after Dear You with three was, albums. Yeah, and then, but Dear You was the only record they did, right? right? And they, they broke up immediately, and so I would imagine that he probably had to uh, give them the option of releasing this first on a major, and I'm sure they were probably like, nah, you know. And so <laughs> and so J and it makes more yeah. sense for them to be on J Tree anyway. So I'm glad it worked out like like it did. But yeah, I could definitely not see this like breaking through you know at least not like jimmy world did like a couple years later you know no. yeah um i did look that up when I, or, I, or when i was reading i i read that he you know they were on dgc which kind of imploded by the end of the decade so he was um yeah he was obligated for another record and i guess he called them and was like whatever you know we're making this album with a new band and they were like whatever we don't care like they had no interest in what he was doing. They're like, who, who we do. We gave you a deal. Uh, we were giving them to everybody. We we're just throwing them out the window to people. <laughs> Can I point out, I wanted to actually point out a line that I really like on the album. That's relevant. So it's, it's uh, in the song, see anemone, but he says, and it's so nice sitting very still without those old shoes. I can never fill. And I almost kind of wonder if that's a reference to Jawbreaker because when Jawbreaker signed um, to DGC or Geffen or whatever, um, they they kind of were looked at as sellouts from the punk scene. You know, they were always mm-hmm. just like DIY, and then the, here they are signing to a major label. And it, you know, ironically, now that's who like almost across the board, that's what everyone agrees is their best album. You know, I think it's their best album, the Jawbreaker record. Um, but it's almost like uh, when he says. Uh, you know, to those old shoes that I can never fill. It's like he could, instead of trying to do Jawbreaker and trying to do more punk songs and like sort of like stepping away from it now. And instead of that, he's now sitting very still doing these more like quiet songs and sort of like reinventing himself as a musician. Um, that's anyway, that's what I got out of it. I thought that was like, it's very fitting to sort of summarize the, his musical transition going from Jawbreaker to this album or to this band. And he did have bands. I, I guess I, I, for a while, I thought that was like just to Brazil ended, and then he just disappeared, and then came back when Jawbreakers like reunited. That that he, but he actually was in bands between then, <laughs> which I I didn't realize he was in a band called the Thorns of Life, um, with uh, Aaron, uh, Comet Bus of Crimpshire and Daniel C and, um. I don't know if they put anything out. Let's see. Doesn't look like it. And then he was in a band called the forgetters in 2009. So like he was doing other stuff, but it just didn't get his like as much attention. It seems like. So made sense that he would go back to one or the other bands eventually. Yeah. Um, so as far as I would go with the better EP, um, the songs that I enjoy the most are the first three 
um, See an Enemy, Conrad, and King Medicine. Those would be my six songs. But I think, I mean, I think I kind of had the same problem with his vocal when we reviewed the Jawbreaker album. I need to go back and listen to it. I just, it's just his voice just does not connect with me. It's just a tone thing. Like it just does not work for me. So it kind of like, even though I'm hearing the words and some of them sound interesting, it was, I couldn't, I couldn't lock in. So, but I think I, you know, not saying this is not worth checking out. It's definitely. Well, vocals are like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. vocals are just like, sometimes you just don't connect with the, the tone or the delivery and it just can't work. So I get it. The Deem, this is a perfunctory question, but uh, Worthy Album, better EP or decent single? I'll go with Worthy Album, of course. Yeah, there's, I mean, particularly, um, you know, Starry Configurations, it's got the chorus that's like, why must you treat me like you do? I think that's like a very, very memorable line uh, or catchy hook, I guess, and King Medicine that tell me how you do that crazy trick where you uh, walk around to sleep. Um, There's a lot of things in here that like really um, catch my ears and I'll have humming along for the next couple of days. But again, I guess from just listening to it so much over the years, I don't know how much of it is just because it's ingrained in my memory um, and, and like listening to it in my formative, like mu- musical upbringing years, you know, like at the height of my, like, whatever you want to call emo listening, you know, cause I, I was like super into, you know, promise ring and mineral and sunny day and Texas is the reason and sense field, like all, all that kind of stuff was like, I was huge into that at that time. But yeah, I'd, I would definitely go where the album. I think all in all, strong songs, great vocal performance, regardless of if you uh, um, enjoy the timbre of his voice. I like the sequencing. I think that great interplay between the musicians, um, intelligently written. Um, you know, they know when to step back. That's a big thing for me as, as far as bands playing with dynamics. So yeah, definitely where the album. Well, thank you for joining us. And we've set a new precedent. Uh, with this episode that if you get both albums into the final <laughs> uh, you get to come on the podcast with us and yeah, talk about your me. winner uh, to be honest i would be curious about the uncle album because i think jay and i would be switched for that record that's yeah, just maybe. my guess uh but i i love that album um i would you know we're, we'll get to maybe down the road i'm not going to give anything away but yeah, and that's uh, Uncle's definitely more in line of like what I'm into now, like the kind of stuff that I listen to. Um, maybe not even science fiction, actually. Some of the the later mm-hmm. uh, Uncle albums, but I do love science fiction too. It's a great album. Some of it's a little dated though, like w- with like the Mike D uh, appearance. It, it's I don't know. It's a little a little <laughs> weird. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, you got to take it for the time period and that kind sure. of thing. But. Uh... I don't want to assume, Jay. Maybe you'll maybe you'll warm to it in a way that I wasn't. Yeah, expecting. stop, stop assuming. I think I Jay know. would love the production of it. Actually, yeah, I think he'd appreciate now. the production. I didn't know how big of a trip hop fan you are. I mean, at this point, <laughs> why not? I, you know what? We need to come up with a um, a, a country trip hop. You know, there's country hip hop. No, we country don't. Country trip hop. We don't need to come up with that. <laughs> I'm going to second Jay on this one. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to make it happen. I am all about people being creative and really just putting things out in the world. <laughs> That's something that just doesn't need to be put out in the world. Folktronica. <laughs> I think we've said that before. Um, well, thanks for joining us, Vadim, from the West Coast. And uh, I want to remind folks that if you want to uh, vote in these polls that we have for these um, monthly tournaments, 27 albums enter and eventually one album will leave. Uh, It might take an extra poll or two. Side note. uh, A little blood spilled, but we get, we eventually get there. Side note. um, I learned recently, I'm going to go on a little tangent here, but this is bizarre. Uh-oh. So speaking of overtime, because we had to have an extra poll, I learned that in the NHL, that if a game surpasses six overtimes, which has never happened, they've made it to four. They've never made it to six. You know what the, the rule is? 
they drop a second puck for the seventh overtime. So there's two pucks on the ice at the same time. <laughs> Why do I have to wait for six overtimes to see that? Here's the crazy thing. If at the end of that is still a tie and they go to an eighth overtime, they place five pucks on the ice, one in each face-off circle, and each team gets 15 players on the ice. Is this a joke? Uh, no, <laughs> it's not a joke. These rules were written in the, in like the 1910s. Yeah. The final um, overtime, if they go to nine overtimes. You get nine nobody, shots at the goalie's nuts. Nobody knows what it is because it's in a sealed <laughs> red envelope and it's never been opened. But there's some, an envelope that was sealed like in 1917 that explains what happens in the ninth overtime. <laughs> Wow. So we need to come up with what I'm saying is we need to come up with an elaborate series of rules if the key's ending up in a tie. Oh my gosh. You know. Can I can I add to that really, really quickly? Mm -hmm. So all I learned about sports is through Nintendo games. Because I I (laughs) I don't watch sports whatsoever. And Blades of Steel was my game. I know Steven's going to love this, by the way, at the end of this episode. So I always thought that at the end of a hockey game, if it's tied, there's a shootout to win. I, mm-hmm. I wasn't aware there was overtimes. And Blades of Steel messed me up really bad because I always thought that when two players fight, the loser goes to the bench because that's what happens in Blades of Steel. It's not both players get taken out. I found, out, <laughs> I found that out much, much later because I was like, Oh, you get your ass kicked. You're out of the game, dude. Like, you know, you're, you're out for two minutes or whatever. Like that's your, like throwing salt in the wounds, right? Like you lost the fight and you got to sit out too. (laughs) Well, it actually makes more sense why you would fight. You'd be like, well, if you get the other guy to lose and you get him out of the game, but when you watch real hockey, you're like, why are you two idiots fighting? I don't understand this. (laughs) You're both going to get taken out. Exactly. Oh man. Did you also learn playing um, sports games that Bo Jackson is the greatest athlete of all time? (laughs) Yeah. Tecmo Super Bowl. Tecmo Super Bowl. Yeah. Which by the way, doesn't have two point conversions, which I also didn't know about until like 20 years later. I was like there, you could do two points. I always thought you had to. Well, they just added that. Yeah. That was after. It was after that game. Yeah. That always been, that had been a college option, but I, maybe the early NFL had it, but I don't, I don't know for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a new, the NFL, uh, of today looks wildly different than the NFL of like 40 years ago. Like they're doing the kickoffs different. They're doing extra points differently. Wow. That's like, why there's the most popular sports still is they right. keep changing. How uh, did, uh, did baseball stars mess you up too? Were you a big fan of that? Nintendo game? I think I did RBI, RBI. Okay. I did that too. Yeah. But baseball stars was. Well, one, when you watch real baseball, were you like, after playing RBI, you were like, wow, all the players are so thin. (laughs) (laughs) RBI baseball, they were all super chubby. Um, I assume there was some Mike Tyson's punch out in there too. Oh man. Soda Popinski. Yeah. My, my (laughs) brethren kind (laughs) of. Oh my God. Well, he was from the USSR, right? Soda Popinski. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Remember you had to like, you had to memorize so much hard it was so hard to get through all that how oh my god like they made a character pink like because he's just they they needed to how do you make somebody appear drunk all the time oh let's just make (laughs) it pink (laughs) well i mean Uh, you you only had so eight bit graphics i mean you can only do so much yeah no kidding (laughs) uh that's what, get... what happens when you have cirrhosis. You turn pink. <laughs> we should create a uh, a video game uh, channel on the on the on the Discord. I'm sure some people. I don't. I don't actually play any video games anymore. Uh, I think the last thing I played was like Tetris on my phone. I, <laughs> that was probably. I it. would love if they put if you could get the uh, the classic NES stuff on like Apple TV or. I know you can get like. You can run it as like Sims on your computer, but like, I'd love to be able to just pop it up on my TV like you used to as a kid and just play those games. Oh my God. I play them on my projector at home. It's so much fun. How do you, do you have an NES or you have like a- No, I have a modified PlayStation that has all the ROMs on the- Uh, Yeah, but it's it's so much. You don't have to blow into the games. Yeah. Do they all work 
work well. They all look good and play well. Yeah, they look great. Yeah. yeah. That'd be all fun. Right. All right, gents, I got to wrap this up. We are yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. past my bedtime. So <laughs> uh, if you would like to suggest an album that makes it into one of these polls, go to digmeoutpodcast.com. That's where you can suggest your album. You can also sign up for the box newsletter. Every week, the newsletter includes a release calendar of new releases, as well as two reviews of new albums or books or movies or TV shows relevant to 80s, 90s, and aughts music, which, by the way, we got to figure out our aughts poll three-way tie. I forgot about that. I talked about it last week. <laughs> we didn't take care of it. Uh Previously, we were doing 80s episodes. This year, we're doing the aughts for our eight, uh, extra episodes exclusively at Patreon, which you can get to via DMU, DMOUnion.com or DigMeOutUnion.com. And lastly, if you like the podcast and you like uh, classic NES uh, video games, leave us some positive feedback over at Apple Podcasts. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Dig Me Out.